It's a weekly ceremony. <laughs> in the movie Men in Black, there is a man named, uh, a police officer, a New York police officer, uh, nicknamed Jay, or that's, what, that's how we came to, to know him, right? You guys remember who, you know, know who I'm talking about? So Jay is a uh, New York police officer, and after one unusual uh, chase, you know, he's chasing down some, some city scum, some, you know, escape, you know, criminal or somebody like that, uh, he gets invited to try out for some unusual organization, right? He doesn't know what this is all about, but he shows up to this place and and he walks into the room, and here are a whole bunch of other uh, individuals. They're also waiting for the same thing, and they're going to they're going to be interviewed for um, this organization, and they're going to take some tests, and they're going to do this, they're going to do that, they're going to do the other thing, right? And uh, and at one point, at one point um, near the beginning of this interview process, the the leader. Uh, the, the, one, the one who's testing them asks them, do you know why you've been chosen? Or you know, do you know why you are here? And so one of these guys who's a military guy, he stands up and he salutes or does what he does and he says, because we're the best of the best, sir. And uh, turns out that the best of the best, sir, aren't chosen. It turns out that for the mission that they were being asked to do, um, all of their qualifications, all of their pedigree, all of their achievements didn't really get them the job. They were invited to come into this other room and we'll do the final test. And then you see the big flash and their memories are erased and they're, uh, they're out. And Jay is the only one left chosen to join the men in black. Right? That's how the story begins. It's kind of a fun story. Um, kind of a fun, you know, fun popcorn movie. But I think it does illustrate something um, that's very true about the Christian life and the Christian experience. That what we have, what we were born into family of origin, nationality, those types of things, or what we achieve throughout life is nothing. Nothing compared to Christ. In fact, it is not going to get us where, where God says, this is where you need to be. This is what you were, this is your true future. This is where, uh, this, this is, is where you're destined to be in my presence, close to me, my child, my beloved, we find that it is only through the unmerited grace of God in Christ Jesus that we have access to Him, access to our good Heavenly Father in the first place. So, if you would, uh, look with me at Philippians chapter 3. Now, after last week's rather long summary of all of the joy, uh, joy 
pluckers, yes, and joy producers um, that we looked at um, just kind of surveying the entire letter of Philippians. Today we're going to start getting in-depth. We're going to start looking at these passages, um, again, beginning in chapter 3, and see uh, what God has to say to us here. So uh, look with me at chapter 3, and uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 7. So follow along with me as I read aloud, beginning at verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, teach us in this moment, God, what you would have us to learn. Um, show us, God, how we need to apply this to our lives, yes. But even more so, God, show us the greatness of your son Jesus. How awesome, how glorious he, he really is. Let us be captivated, God, by Christ. And let the rest go. Certainly, God, for your glory and our joy, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Joy in unmerited grace is the title of this message. And here's the big idea. This, this is the big, the big truth from this passage, that the unmerited grace of God in Christ Jesus is the source and sustainment of our greatest joy. The unmerited grace of God in Christ Jesus is the source and sustainment of our greatest joy. We talked last week as we looked at uh, joy pluckers and joy producers. We ended that by, by seeing that the greatest joy producer in Paul's letter and, and, and the greatest joy producer in all of life and in all of God's redemptive plan for us in all of Scripture is Christ Himself. He begins this letter, uh, or this, excuse me, this section right here again in verse 1 of chapter 3 with, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And up until this point, he's been talking about joy, his joy in them, and his desire for their joy to increase, and, and how he rejoices in certain circumstances, even those, though those circumstances don't make, seem to make any sense. And he calls them to rejoice. He says, be glad. He says to rejoice together with me and do these things with joy. And then he comes to this point. He says, this is the ultimate joy. This is the greatest joy. And all other joys are, are rooted in the Lord, in Jesus himself. 
That is, He is our greatest joy. But we have joy pluckers abound. There are people trying to pluck our joy. And He talks about them right here in verse 2. And it reminds us of something that is there to steal our joy. He says, look out for the dogs. Hmm, the dogs? The wild dogs? The pets? The family, the family pet? Or is, he talking about, is he talking about Rex? Is he talking about Strider? Is he talking about Honey? He might be talking about my old dog, Honey. So, watch out. Look out for Honey. I don't know about that dog. No, he's not talking about real dogs. He's, he's talking about... He's talking about... Um, or he's using a, a word picture um, that was pretty common in first century Judaism. And so here's what dogs were like in the first century. Dogs in the first century in Judea were not family pets. They weren't domesticated as we would think of them. Now you could say, you, I guess you could say you own a dog, um, but most people uh, thought, would, you know, when you said, that's my dog, they would think, well, that's the dog that lives on your property. <laughs> you, you, didn't, you didn't have a dog as a pet. You didn't think of dogs as nice, nice animals or nice creatures. Dogs were scavengers. Dogs were dirty. Dogs were diseased. You didn't play with dogs. Kids, you didn't have, if you, if you were a good Jewish kid in the first century, you didn't have a dog as a pet. And so you were, you were missing out on, on that joy. Dogs were not man's best friend in the first century. And so the term dog was, began to be used by Jewish people to explain how other people were unclean. How, how other people were dirty. Ceremonial, ceremonially dirty. Religiously dirty. So when, when, uh, when they used the term dog, it, it wasn't necessarily meant to be insulting. It was just a matter of fact. Those people are outside of God's uh, plan outside of God's purposes, outside of God's people. They don't belong here. So Paul says, look out for the dogs. So his readers are going, okay, so we get that imagery. He's talking about outsiders. He's talking about people who are unclean, who are ritualistically um, unfit to be God's people. But then he says, look out for the evildoers. And so that term should be pretty pretty straightforward for us. People who do evil things. The, the, the literal is evil workers or workers of evil. These are people who are doing things, practicing things that are evil that shouldn't be done. Okay, look out for those people. That, that makes a lot of sense. Hey, Proverbs, Proverbs are full of, hey, watch out. Be careful who, what kind of company you keep. Don't walk in their way. Psalm 1 says, so Psalm 1 says, blesses the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. So keep away from evil workers, evil doers, workers of iniquity, those who are sinning in rebellion against God. Okay, that makes sense. Look out for outsiders. Look out for people who are doing evil. And then he says, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. 
What does he mean by that? Literally, he's saying, look out for the mutilation. Which he means, what he means by that is a category of people who are mutilating and not circumcising the flesh. And in, in Israel's history, they would look back and, 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 their, and they would think about all of the pagans who did all kinds of terrible ritualistic mutilations of their bodies. And they, they would do that to please their God, to please the whatever Baal that they were worshipping. And so, so he's saying, look out for these people. And, and I, I got to think it as, as a Philippian and as a, as a Christian here today, we're like, okay, yeah, well, yeah, we want to watch out for those guys. We don't, you know, we don't want to hang out with them and, and have them go, hey, hey we're going to have this little um, ceremony. We're going to get together. And, and uh, if you really want to be part of the club, you know, you can do this or that. And, and, the, and the club wasn't just, you know, getting a tattoo that would, you know, connect you there. Or, you know, back in the, back in, when I was a kid, um, we, we had this thing, and people don't do it anymore, um, but, you know, where you'd, you'd, like, cut your, you know, each of you would cut your hand, and you'd, be, you'd become blood brothers, shake hands or whatever, and you'd be blood brothers, right? You know, it's kind of the old Lone Ranger and Tonto thing, right? Um, uh, it wasn't like that at all. It was something disgusting, something, um, something horrible, something repulsive, and they would do that kind of thing. And so here's Philippians getting this warning. Look out for these people. Watch out for them. These guys, these guys are going are gonna, to are, are gonna be dangerous for you. And, and, and he said in verse 1, he said he's, to, he's writing the same things to them. So these are things that he's told the Philippians before. He's talked with them about before. And he says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the time. It's, not a, it's no trouble for me to repeat this. I'm going to repeat this because it's going to keep you safe. It's going to keep you secure. And I want you to be safe. I want you to be secure. I want you to know this stuff. So we look at verse 2 and go, okay. He wants us to look out for something. He wants us to watch out. He wants us to beware. But what exactly is he telling us to beware of? Verse 3 gives us a clue. Because he goes from talking about the mutilation in verse 2 to talking about the circumcision. And then he says, for we, Christians, me, Paul, Timothy, you as Christians, Philippians, me, Michael, you as the River Church, are the circumcision. The circumcision, mutilation. Wait a minute. Paul's not just talking about the outsiders that we've kind of gotten used to thinking about He's talking about a particular group of people. And he's contrasting this group of people with the people who are the real or the true circumcision. He's talking about people who have been circumcised not just according to the flesh, the Jewish tradition, Judaism, and ancient Israel, but he's talking about people who have been circumcised in the flesh of their heart. We heard that passage in Jeremiah. Remember, Jer- the Lord is speaking, giving these words to Jeremiah, and he's talking to his people, and he's saying, I reject all of these people who, who have circumcision in the flesh, and I'm going to judge them. And guess what, Israel? 
you are uncircumcised too in your hearts. So then it should, our eyes should kind of pop open, our minds should, the, the hamster should get on the wheel and start creaking along and we should start thinking, what is he talking about? He's talking about people who were coming in to the Philippian church or other churches or were going to come into that church and tell them, okay, you believe in Jesus, that's good. But you also need to do this. Faith in Jesus is good. I'm glad you believe in the gospel. However, to be right with God, to truly be a Christian, you need something else in addition. For them, and for, for these people that, that Paul is warning them about, these are people who are saying, I'm glad you believe in Jesus, but now you need to be circumcised. Now you need to follow the, the Jewish religious practices. You need to follow the ceremonies of Judaism in order to be a real Christian. Otherwise, you're still disobedient to God. Otherwise, you don't have any part of God. You can't be a part of God's people until you do these things. Paul is saying in a verse, verse 2, which is one of the strongest um, verses, strongest verse language that Paul uses in, throughout his letters, He's saying, watch out for these people. These people are trying to make you believe in Jesus plus rather than Jesus. So, when he says, look out for the dogs, he's talking about the people who believe they were already in. He's talking about people who weren't dogs. So, if you, see, you see the irony here? He's talking about people who thought they were in with in, in like Flynn, right? They were they were in Christ and they were also in God's people. They were they were his people. They were on the inside of things because of what they did religiously and spiritually. And he says, "No, they're the dogs. They're the outsiders because they haven't come to believe in the sufficiency and the unmerited grace of of God." That's in Christ. They, they don't know that. He said, they're the evildoers. They're the ones who take pride in all of their religious practices. The ones who take pride in doing the right things. The ones who read their Bible through in a year. The ones who memorize Scripture. The ones who take pride in the fact that they're always in church on time. The, the, ones, who, the ones who have all kinds of, of good works added up. How they witness, how they, how they help people, how they serve, how they give and tithe. And he says, look out for the evildoers. How could that be? How could he slap them in the face like that? They're not, they're not workers of righteousness. They're workers of evil. And then he really takes them to task. He says, it's not circumcision that they're involved in. It's mutilation. mutilation. In, in a, another letter, um, Paul 
has such strong words for this group of people that he says, I wish that they would go all the way with their cutting themselves. Mm. Not good. I'll leave, it, I'll leave it there. And then parents, you can talk to your kids about that some more. But he's, he is so against this practice of making Gentiles, making non-Jewish people conform to the, to the Jewish traditions and the, Jewish, uh, uh, the uh, practices of Judaism that he says, they're the mutilation. We are the circumcision. The, the, the idea here, the thing I want us to learn is that because of unmerited grace, we look out for, we watch out for, as he warns them, look out for false teaching. Now, I have friends. I have friends who believe we need to do what the Old Testament says to do. And we need to worship on the Sabbath, on, a, on Saturday, which would be our Saturday. We should only have our worship services on Saturday because that's the Sabbath. And we need to practice um, and keep the feast days. So we need to find out when those feasts are in our calendars, and we need to keep those. And we need to keep Passover, but we don't and shouldn't celebrate Easter. We shouldn't celebrate Christmas. We shouldn't celebrate anything that comes from the, tradition, the Christian tradition. We should only celebrate the things that are in the Jewish tradition. And if you do that, then you'll be God's chosen people. Then God will accept you. Then you can really, truly worship Christ. And then I have friends who think that... Jesus is good, but you need some other experience. You need a, a second experience, or a third experience, or you need numerous religious or spiritual experiences to really confirm that you are His, that you belong to God. And usually it's related to some kind of spiritual gift, some manifestation of the Spirit, that if you don't experience that, you're not really in Christ. We have to be careful. We have to look out for, watch out for. And those are examples. And, and I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't stand here and say that those people who believe those things are not in Christ or they don't have a part in Christ. I, I, I'll let God be the judge of that. But all I know is that Paul, in the strongest terms possible, says, look out for people who are keeping you from Christ, who are, who are, who are t teaching you to go ahead and have Jesus, but, or have Jesus, plus you need this, or, or, you, you're, not, or you're not in. Because what does he say after that? Yeah, he says, tells them to look out for false teaching. But in, in verse 3, he, he, um, he tells us what it means to be the circumcision, what it means to be spiritually circumcised, what that looks like. He says, we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Worship by the Spirit of God. 
What does that sound like to you? Anybody? Uh, worship. Well, isn't that what we do on Sunday morning? We worship, right? It's a worship gathering. Or, or it's, it's, it is what we do on Sunday morning, but it's that, part, it's that part of the worship where the musicians are playing and the singers are singing and we're all singing with them, and that's worship. And we worship by the Spirit of God when, when, we, when we do those things. But the word worship that Paul is using is really the word, uh, maybe a better way of thinking about it is service. It was a word that was used in the Old Testament over and over again, and it meant those people who do the work of, or do the ministry or the service of the temple and of the other various, you know, uh, aspects of, of Israel's uh, worship, uh, worship practice or, or, or worship traditions. And the service that, that, and the worship that Paul is referring to is not just a service that we attend or it's not just a particular type of singing or a type of music, but it really is how we love God and love others in tangible ways. It's how we serve God and how we serve other people. And he's saying that the real circumcision, uh, the spiritual circumcision that takes place for us enables us, empowers us. It is the source of our, of our worship to God. He says we worship or serve by the Spirit of God. That it's God's Spirit in us, not our our religious practices, not our traditions, not our, our backgrounds or histories or family um, that allows us to worship. It's God's Spirit in us. God's Spirit that comes in us when new birth happens. John chapter 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. It's not, the, it's not your flesh that, that makes that happen. How can one be born again in his, you know, or emerge out of his mother's womb a second time? Good question, Nick, Nicodemus. Jesus says, you can't. It has to happen spiritually. And so, God, by his grace, his unmerited, undeserving grace, gives us his spirit that allows us to serve him. It's the source of... Of the, of, our, of, of the joy of service. It's also the thing that sustains our service. And then he says, it, and, and we are the circumcision who glory in Christ Jesus. The word for glory here is, is boasting. We boast. If somebody says, hey, what are you proud of? You say, I'm proud of my accomplishments, I'm proud of my ministry, I'm proud of my missional community, I'm proud of my um, spiritual disciplines. No, that's not what he's saying, right? That's not what he's saying. We don't boast in, in those things. We boast in, we glory in Christ Jesus. We boast in the fact that Jesus has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And that, who, that is who gets the glory. So we glory in Christ Jesus when we see people come to faith in Him, when we see people baptized, when we see our friends uh, uh, come to uh, worship with us, when we see our discipleship groups grow, 
when we see missional communities grow and advance and serve. When, we, when people come, we glory in Christ Jesus. When people change, we glory in Christ Jesus. When something happens in our lives and we take a big giant leap in our faith and we go, wow, I can't believe we're doing this. We're stepping out in faith. We're doing something that God has called us to do. We glory in Christ Jesus in that step. Because God has done something. He's given us His unmerited grace and allowed us to to be His. To be His. When he says in verse 3, we are the circumcision, he's countering the false teaching. He's saying, we are the ones who belong to God. We are His people. Because of the unmerited grace of God, we look out for false teaching And because of unmerited grace, we are secure in Christ. That's what he's talking about here. He's talking about who we are in Christ. Not not that we have exchanged old rituals for new rituals that are going to make us right with God. Not that we, not that, he's he's not talking about our, our worship style has changed and it's more spirit oriented and and the spirit of god is in the worship and now we're going to be um honoring to god now god is going to be happy with us now we're his people he's not saying that hey if you exchange this kind of boasting for that kind of boasting and as long as you, with your lips you say hey it's all about jesus man if in your heart it's not about jesus He's not saying that we change one kind of religion for another kind of religion or one kind of spiritualism for another kind of spiritualism. He's saying that God, because of His unmerited grace for us in Christ Jesus, has changed us, made us His people. And now, that makes us totally secure in Christ. We are His. Um, We sang some of these songs, right? What did we sing? From my mother's womb you've chosen me. Love has called my name. I've been born again into your family. Your blood flows through my veins, right? A change took place. So that we can truly sing, I am a child of God. Because of what God has done. Because of His unmerited grace for us in Christ Jesus. He has made us secure. We no longer fear, am I doing the right things? Am I doing enough? Have I witnessed enough? Have I, have I been good enough? Have I forgiven enough? I have a long list as every year that goes by, it seems like the list grows of people that I feel in my heart that I have offended or disappointed or let down. It just keeps growing. And one of the things that, that affects me the most and, and, and plucks the joy away from me is feeling guilt over that. 
But yesterday when we were talking about my 316 and trying to just practice coming up with our testimony in uh, one to two sentences per, um, per line, or, you know, three to six sentences, in other words, I realized that what drew me to Christ as a child was I felt guilty. I felt guilty about the things that I'd done. My, my need for Jesus when I was six years old was based on that I, I felt guilty because I, I lied to my parents or because I stole something that didn't belong to me and because I was disobedient or because I couldn't really control my anger and, and would fight with my little brother. And those things I felt guilty about until I learned that Jesus died to take away my guilt. And by trusting in Him, I could have my guilt removed, taken away, forgiven. But see, that same gospel that I encountered when I was six years old is the same thing I need to hear today, every day of my life. I don't have to fear what I've done and how I have disappointed other people that really, really when I look to Christ, when I put away all of that other stuff, the good and the bad that I've done, and I look to Christ, I find that's where my security is. I'm a child of God because of what He's done. And therefore, I don't put my confidence in my flesh, in who I am, or what I have accomplished. I don't trust in that. I trust in Jesus. And that's what Paul says next. He says, we who are the circumcision, we put no confidence in the flesh. But then he says, I have a reason for being confident in the flesh. Check it out. If anyone else thinks he can be confident and trust in his own works and his own background and pedigree, I have way more. Way more. If you thought that you were good, you should take a look at me. That's what he's saying. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Well, there are a lot of people who were circumcised on the eighth day. Good Jewish family would circumcise their child on the eighth day. Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day. That doesn't mean, that, that's not a bad thing in and of itself. But he can claim, I was that. I wasn't circumcised when I was 13 years old, like Ishmael back in Genesis. No, I was circumcised on the eighth day. And then he says, I'm of the people of Israel. Well, okay, there were a lot of Israelites around in Paul's time. He says, but I was of the tribe of Benjamin. Oh, well, that's, that's pretty good. Tribe of Benjamin, beloved of God. Hey, God, God loved Benjamin. Israel, the father, Jacob, he loved Benjamin, favorite son. And God took care of Benjamin. And Benjamin was, was, was brought in to the, the southern tribe of Judah. Um, they, Benjamin was faithful to the, David and his sons after him. And so they, they joined with the people of God. And they could count their lineage all the way down to Paul. So that when, when the little boy was born in Tarsus, his parents being good Israelites, good Benjaminites, Hebrews of Hebrews, they said, we're going to name our son after Benjamin's greatest hero, King Saul. That's who we're going to name our son. He is 
of the tribe of Benjamin. And he is a Hebrew of Hebrews. In other words, even though he was born in Tarsus, he wasn't born in Judea, he wasn't born in Jerusalem, he was born in Tarsus, a, 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 a Hellenistic city in a lot of ways. He was brought up as a Hebrew. He knew the language. He could read the Old Testament scriptures. He could speak Aramaic, which was the, the, the language spoken uh, within the Jews and in Palestine at that time. In fact, he could say even more than just knowing the language. He grew up in Jerusalem. His testimony in the book of Acts is that I was brought up in Jerusalem under the feet of Gamaliel, the, the greatest Pharisee of that time. He's the one who taught me, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. And then if his background wasn't enough and what he was given by birth wasn't enough, he says, well, here's what I did and what I accomplished. Because, yeah, there's some of you out there who could claim to be of the tribe of Benjamin or Judah and know the Hebrew language and know the Aramaic and be circumcised and all those other things. But check it out. I excelled more than anybody else. I became a Pharisee. The strictest sect of Judaism. And then he says, I not only became a Pharisee according to the law, but I was also zealous for the law. Zealous as could be. I wanted to keep the law and purify the law. And I was so zealous, I persecuted the church. The church, which was an aberration. A church which was taking people away from the one true God and the right way of living and the right way of believing. And I persecuted them to death. And then as to righteousness under the law, in other words, if you looked at my life and compared it to what I should live like, you couldn't, you couldn't find anything wrong with me. He's not talking about his heart. You know, he's not, not talking about the, 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 the unseen sins of his life. He's talking about the righteousness that was self-evident. Everyone could look at him and go, man, this guy's blameless. Like, we cannot accuse him of anything, of any wrongdoing. He never breaks the Jewish or the, or the Pharisaical laws. Man, he's, he is, he, he's perfect. Keeps it perfectly. That, verses 5 to 6, is what Paul says was his confidence in the flesh, was his trust in the flesh, both in his background, who he, who he was, uh, who he was born into, the family he was born into, and also the things that he accomplished. So we should, each of us, should think about those things in our own lives. What is it that we look back on and go, well, here's my background, here's my... You know, here's what I've accomplished. It's very dangerous to do that. It's very dangerous to talk about it out loud. But I was born into a Christian family. My dad became a pastor when I was very, very young. My grandfather was a church planter in the Northwest. And he was also a Texan, too. Which is something some people boast about. Anyway, not everybody some people. And, um, and I grew up in church. And I learned a lot. And most Sundays, back in the day, when, you would, when you'd go to Sunday school, you'd show up, and there'd be a big chart on the wall, 
And the Sunday school teacher would put a star um, under your name because you attended. And then they'd give you a, a, an offering envelope. That was your Sunday school offering. And you would check the boxes. Brought my Bible. Prayed this week. Brought my offering. Brought a friend. Shared the gospel with somebody this week. Check, 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 right? You just, you go down and you check those things and you're like, boy, I'm pretty good. Yeah. And then your teacher would take that and transfer it to the wall and put your gold stars on the chart. And I was a gold star kid and I was a pastor's kid. Some of you think that's not much to brag about. But I learned, I learned the gospel at a young age. I was baptized when I was six years old. We had family devotions when I was a kid. We, had, we went on family vacations. We prayed together. We read the Bible together as a family. I learned to read it for myself. And at a young age, I read through the entire Bible all the way through. And then my dad bought me a brand new Bible. Here's a, here's a reward for uh, reading through the whole Bible. Um, and I continued to do those things. And then I was... Uh, I could tell you about times when I was faithful and I stood up to uh, temptation and I didn't give in. And I can tell you about the time when I was in college and I said, I'm, here I am, I'm a freshman, I want to serve God, I want to be in ministry. How, how do I need to, how, you know, tell me what I need to do. And I stepped up and I, I got trained and I got, I got to lead in my Baptist student ministries. And, and then I was chosen to be a music uh, director at age 20 in my church, and I served in that way, and then I felt the call of God on my life, and I did this and I did that, and then check it out. God called me to be a church planter, and here I am, and I gave up a promotion to be a church planter, and then I finished seminary, and I did all that at the same time I was doing all of this other stuff, and here we are today, and isn't, isn't, isn't what I did awesome? Verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. As wonderful as any and all of those things may be in and of themselves, they are nothing compared to Christ. They are nothing compared to what I have because of Jesus. All of it, all of it is because of Jesus. All of it is because He saved me. He chose me. And if I stumbled, it was because of my sin. And if I, and if I stood fast, it was because of the unmerited grace of God. These things, not only false teaching that can hammer us and we can fall into, not only the false teaching of clear and obvious error can, can pluck away our joy, but our own personal achievements can steal that joy so quickly. Because ultimately, those things are nothing. 
because of unmerited grace, we look out for false teaching. We do, and he warns us here to look out for it. Because of unmerited grace, we are secure in Christ and what he has done. Because of unmerited grace, to, to just push it a little bit further, we trust in Christ. That means today and tomorrow. Not just about our past, not just about who we are right now in Christ, but we can step forward. We can go do the things that God is clearly calling us to do. We have hope for the next day and the next. Jesus, Jesus, we could trust Him. Like, we can trust Him to sit in this chair and it's going to hold us up. Okay, good, it held me up. Because He's calling us to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. As Paul wrote to the Philippians in chapter 1, verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. He doesn't want them to stumble because of this false teaching, because of the people saying, Jesus is okay, but you really need this to be secure in Christ. No, it's because of His unmerited grace that we're secure and because of His unmerited grace that we can live and walk and take the steps that He's telling us to take, that we can put our trust in Him. The rest, He says, the rest, He says, He counted as loss. Like some friends of ours who's a CPA, got the... It's got the spreadsheet out there. and This is the loss column right here. And then he realized that all of these things he was adding into that column, thinking, hey, hey, this is great. This is, this is adding up. I mean, my net worth to God is, is pretty impressive. And he realized, oh my goodness, all those things were liabilities. All those things were loss. All of those things are getting me nowhere. None of those things are getting me joy. None of those things are getting me Christ. How about us today? What is God asking from us? What is God showing you? I hope He's showing you that whatever has happened in the past, good or bad, those things are nothing compared to knowing Christ. And if He is asking you to serve in a certain way, if He's asking for you to give over a a part of your life, a piece of your life that you've been holding back because you want to keep control of that because you're confident and your trust is in that thing, give it over to Him and let Him receive the glory. Let your boasting be in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word to us today. Thank you for your unmerited grace, the grace that we couldn't possibly have earned in a lifetime or in a thousand lifetimes or in eternity. But you've given it to us freely by your son Jesus because you love us, because you sacrificed for us, because you earned it for us. We love you, give you praise, and we give you glory. In the name of Jesus, amen. Would you stand with me as we sing and uh, close out our time of worship today?